We thank you, Lord, for your hand upon us today. Help us, Lord, to follow after you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As we are staying, we can turn to the book of Luke, the ninth chapter, Luke chapter 9. Amen. We'll start reading in verse 28. Luke 9, 28. The word of the Lord says, came to pass about eight days after these sayings. If you want to know what the sayings are, you got to start reading earlier. Uh... He took Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. How many have felt heavy with sleep before? Man, every morning, right? Heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. It came to pass as they departed from him, as Moses and Elijah departed, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. So Luke just fills in the gaps and says, Paul had no, Peter had no idea what he's saying when he said something foolish like that. Not knowing what he said. Amen. So I want to preach to you today uh, from this title, The Realm of Receiving. The Realm of Receiving. Amen. Turn to a few people around you and greet them, shake their hands as you're seated today. Amen. Start, uh, starting this Thursday, I'm going to be starting up a new series um, about, you know, foundations and, and what we believe as apostolics. And I encourage everyone that is uh, active in ministry, those who are involved in ministry and those who want to be a part of, of ministry and obviously grow more, I uh, encourage you all to be here uh, beginning on Thursday as we begin a new series um, about living an apostolic life. Amen. So the realm of receiving, amen, the human eye is one of the most complex and useful organs in the entire body. While it is one of the smallest, its complexity is on par with that of the human brain. Uh, new eyelashes remain on the eyelid for about five months, and the total lashes shed by a human in their lifetime, your eyelashes, amount up to 98 feet of eyelashes. It's a good thing they fall out, right? There are more than two million working parts of the human eyeball that allow it to function as efficiently as it does. Most people think that about one-third of the human eye is exposed at all times, but it's really only about one-sixth of the eye that is exposed. The eyeball is bigger than most people think. A retina contains 256 unique characteristics whereas a fingerprint only has 40 unique. That is why, you know, no two fingerprints are alike uh, with these 40 different characteristics, and that is why retina scans are even more precise because there's 250 different characteristics in your eye than your 
fingers. And so that, why, that is why they're used at high uh, security facilities, and pretty soon uh, the whole world will know our eyes. Uh, under the right conditions, the, the eye of the human eye can see a candlelight at the distance of 14 miles away. Obviously, the right circumstances has to be in place, but they figured out 14 miles. It's probably not down here because uh, it rains so much and you can't see very far. But uh, being able to see what we see and how we see is really a miracle in itself. I mean, I don't even think we can really explain how we see things and uh, the, just the, the few facts about the eyeball is, is amazing in itself. And, and yet, uh, it's a miracle that we can see how we see and what we see. And yet, the world teaches that humans came from a puddle of swamp water. And somehow, our eyeballs came out of that as well to see this the way that we see. And we are supposed to believe that some creature that had no arms or legs or eyeballs all of a sudden grew arms, grew legs, and that this complex multi-million billion glob of cells formed and said, hey, let's form an eyeball so that we can see the world that we're living in. Okay, how do we form an eyeball? Not sure. There's never one been existed before, but we're going to make a perfect one. Uh, and so mo one of the most complex parts of the human body is formed, and it, it's incredible. Uh, do you realize how much faith it takes to believe that we came from an amoeba? I have faith, but I don't have that much faith. I can't, I can't, I don't have that much faith. Sorry to let you down. Uh, you know who else didn't really have that much faith? Either was the man himself, Charles Darwin, Mr. Evolution. This is what he said in his book concerning the eye. He says, to suppose that the eye with all its inimitable, in 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 I shouldn't have even said it, because I don't even know what it means. So let's just suppose the eye with all its uh, magnificence and complexities to be able to adjust uh, the focus of different distances and all these things. He says to suppose that, that that could have been formed by natural selection, mean, meaning evolution, uh, seems... I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. That's what Mr. Evolution said about the eyeball. He says to think about the, the complexities of the eye and to just assume that it came through natural selection is absurd in the highest degree. That's what he said about the eye. Uh, and so I don't know about you, and I think I do, but I, I, I know that we believe in a creator, we believe in a creator. We don't believe that we are just some accident, some freak of nature. I believe that you and I are his greatest creation in so much that we are formed in, and made in his hands in the, by the very image of God and by his image. And as complex as the human eye is, it is no match for all the powerful, the all-knowing, the almighty God. And what he wants us to do with these arms is to raise him, them up to him and to worship him. And what he wants us to do with these eyes is to look to him, look to our, the author and finisher of our faith, our creator, our healer, our deliverer, our redeemer, our savior. That is why we have these arms and this body and these eyes so that we can look to him and worship him with what God has given us. While we are used to waking up in the morning and opening our eyes and beginning to take in the world around us, we don't know any different, anything different than that. But there are people who wake up in the morning and open their eyes, and they don't see a world full of color, but all they see is darkness. 
There was a 68-year-old woman who for most of her life could see, but she became blind in both eyes for five years until she went and underwent cataract surgery, and she didn't know there was, there was cataract. She didn't know what she had. She thought that she just had some incurable disease, and then somebody finally told her, hey, there's, we can fix that. But she was blind for five years. She said, before the operation, I felt like I was dead because I couldn't do anything for myself. Couldn't see, couldn't do anything for myself. But with tears in her eyes, she says, I, I can take care of myself now, and most importantly, I can see my loved ones. The power of being able to see. And, and how often we, we take it for granted every day. We don't even think twice about it. But there are people in this world who open their eyes and they cannot see uh, what it is that you and I see. And there is, uh, there exists a realm out there where life exists. And people and, and, and things and animals function all without the use of eyes and sight. Deep down in the depths of the oceans or in the depths of the earth. That is too far for light to reach. We might think that, well, there's probably no life down there. Can't see anything. There's no life. There's nothing there simply because you can't see. But to the contrary, there is life down there. There is life in the deepest, darkest parts of the sea and uh, the darkest caves. I'll take their word for it. I'm not going to go looking for that. But I'm just taking their word that there is life in those dark places of the world. Creatures do exist down there. And they thrive. And they live and they receive from their environment and they, and they live and, they, and they, they, uh, they, they operate and do all these things all without sight. So one can live in a world with light and one can live in a world without light. You can still live. Life goes on. Both different realms and just because you can't see doesn't mean that you can't receive something, right? In fact, isn't there a word for that that we so often use, and that is the word faith? Because Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is literally defined as not being able to see something, but yet believe that it is out there somewhere. I can't see it, but I believe it's out there. Not seeing, but yet I'm still receiving something. Not seeing, and I'm still living, which also declares that if I can see it, then I really don't need faith. I exercise zero faith if I can see it with my eyes. I don't need faith. I, I can see it. I can hold it. I can touch it. I don't need to believe that something is not there, that it is there. If I can pick it up and hold it and, and touch it and read it, then I'm not really using much faith, am I? Because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But sometimes... It is something that we see that begins to stir up our faith. Reading or hearing that doctor's diagnosis requires no faith to receive it. No faith to read what his report says. But that doesn't mean that I have to accept that as final. 
That doesn't mean that what the doctor says is the end of all ends. No, I believe I can see your report, but I'm also starting to look now with my faith and to begin to see something that is not there, to see a healing take a place, to see a miracle that only God can do, to see that thing on the picture disappear and we come back and take another test and all of a sudden it's not there. That takes faith to see, to reach out beyond what you can see with their eyes and touch or read and uh, I see a report that hasn't been printed yet. I see a report that the doctor has not seen yet and while you might be my doctor that go ahead that tries to drain my bank account, you're not my only doctor because I'm going to get a second opinion. I'm going to go to the great physician and let him see what he has to say about it all. Let him see what I can't see and let let me reach out in faith and close my eyes and begin to reach out into another realm that I cannot even see or sense, but I, I know it's out there, and that is the realm of faith where I can receive something. The realm of receiving is not always the realm that our eyes are leading us to, but where our faith is leading us, that is the realm of the supernatural, the realm of miracles, signs, and wonders, the realm that we cannot see, the realm of the unseen where, where not many people will go because it is, really, it is really all unknown. I can't see it, so I'm not going. And I, I can't use my eyes, and uh, that means I'm just going to have to feel around a little bit. And, and how can anyone receive anything if, in a place like that? How can there be any life there if I can't see? Staying in the visible is comfortable. Because the unknowns are limited and I, I don't have to feel and I don't have to sense around for something that uh, else is beyond what I can see. But if I can just stay where I can see everything and I can look at everything and I can figure everything out, that's the most comfortable place. And yet is that really the realm of receiving the supernatural? But even with our miracle eyes and our miracle sight we still don't even see everything. Even when it's right in front of our eyes, 2020 vision or whatever it is, and, and uh, happen not to see that sign, and uh, I get reminded that I didn't see that, or, or how could I pass that up? Is that, anyone, anyone, that ever happened to anybody? You just, how did I miss that? Right in front of me, happens all the time. Sometimes maybe we're looking too hard. And we, can, we, we can't see what is right in front of us. Who needs a good set of eyes because many times I can't even use the ones I have because apparently I miss things. But go with me for, uh, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9 and 28, our text that came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and James and John and went up into a mountain to pray, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. We can just stop right there, because clearly something major is happening. Something major is happening here. It's, it's not a secret, it's not... Revealed in some private interpretation, but it's just spelled out right there that uh, his raiment and his countenance is starting to change. All of a sudden, Jesus begins to glow. At my, my translation, Jesus begins to glow. Jesus is changing. His countenance is being altered right there in real time. Now, it doesn't say at what time of day it is, day or night, but it really doesn't matter, does it? Because Jesus can glow during the night and he can glow during the day. It doesn't matter the time, the time or the place is not important, but the fact that Jesus is now all of a sudden starting to glow. 
Now that is important no matter what time it is that the glory of God can be manifested and being seen with our natural eyes. And we come and we, we gather here a few times a week and, and what happens is, is that God shows up and, and manifests himself and he, he makes his presence known a, among his people and, and there's an awe factor when when the glory of God is, is manifested and, and you feel it and you sense it with our, with our senses and our physical bodies, you know that something supernatural is here. We're in a charged atmosphere uh, that things we cannot see are here. There may be angels around here that we cannot see, but maybe we can sense them or feel them. And, and God's spirit is actively moving here and there's an all factor going on. Whether it be early, uh, early morning prayer or during our Sunday school hour or even beginning at 11 o'clock or even our Thursday night service, it doesn't matter the day, it doesn't matter the hour, it doesn't matter the setting, but the glory of God can be manifested here at any moment. At any time, the power of God can be released and, and the glow can start happening because God is not bound by time. He's not bound by location. So what we might experience while we are here, together at this location, at this time of day and, and week, don't let your mind tell you and convince you that this is the only place that that can happen. Don't believe that the lie of your mind to say uh, the, the power of God is only revealed here and only manifested here at Sundays at 11 o'clock. No, that puts a limitation on God. That restricts uh, God and what he can do in your life, that there, there shouldn't be that. What you experience here, you can experience on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Friday or a Saturday when you're all alone and you're seeking and you're looking and you're feeling after the glory of God. You're going to find him. You're going to find his presence. You're going to find his glory if you seek him with all of your heart. And so don't leave the glory here, but take it with us. I don't want to leave everything here uh, and not take anything with me. No, we should be walking out of here with bags of all kinds of suitcases of what God is pouring out. His blessings and, and revelations and fresh words and a touch or, or healing or, or a testimony. God shows up and he wants to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and give us everything that he knows that we need. And as it pours out, as the windows of heaven open up in this place, we got to make sure that we just don't leave it here and separate in our lives and in our minds. We, we can separate, well, this, is, this happens at this hour. This only happens there in this. And when we do that, we shortchange ourselves because God can do anything. He can manifest his glory at any time and any place. And you can be all by yourself in your prayer closet. And all of a sudden you can feel uh, something, uh, the power of God coming there. And God can manifest his glory in your life. And you, it's just you and him. Uh, it, it happens and it has happened and it will happen as long as we're open to the possibility that not everything ha happens here, but God can do anything anywhere. And so it's not all, it's not in this building. It's not the chairs or it's not the ground that produces the glow. No, the glory of God comes from him. It comes from his presence. It comes from his spirit. And so if we receive the Holy Ghost and we've spoken in other tongues, we've been baptized in Jesus' name and repented of our sins as, as the, the Bible teaches and commands us to do, um, uh, we receive that Holy, the Holy Ghost and we begin to speak in another language and we once we receive the Spirit, the Bible says we become the temple. 
We've become the house. We've become the vessel that is containing this most holy spirit, this most holy presence of the almighty God. And so wherever we go, the glory of God is going. Why? Because he's inside of us. He's not here in an office building somewhere. No, he's inside of us. Wherever we go, the glory of God goes. The power of God goes. And so I don't know about you, but I don't just want to see the glory of God here or just one little place in Fort Myers. No, I want to see his glory everywhere, on every street corner here in Fort Myers, on every building, in every home, in every heart. Where? Why would we put limitations on God when he can do anything? Habakkuk 2 and 14 says, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so there is coming a day where God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And I believe that pouring has already begun, that his glory is being poured out as we speak in people's lives. And as one candle has the power to light another candle, and that flame is passed from one vessel to another vessel, so too does the glow and the glory of God begin to emit and begin to manifest itself in our lives so that what we have received is not for us to keep and to cherish and to never let go. It was not given to us so that we can look good and that we can look godly. And so that we can stare at ourselves in the mirror and admire the glow of God emitting from us. No, we have been given the glow so that we can go connect with somebody else and pass this truth on. Pass the glory on. Amen. Lead them to Jesus and let them be filled with his spirit. Because freely have we received, so freely we need to give it out. And so the work that God has done in me, guess what? He can do it in you. In the life that he's brought me out of, he can bring you out of the darkest life ever. In the pit that he lifted me up out of, he can do that for you. Amen. That is why we have been given the spirit, the power to be a, the power to be a witness. Sure, we're, we benefit from it. And, and our lives are blessed from the infilling of the Holy Ghost and we're changed and we're being transformed and being molded more and more like Jesus. Amen. And so, but it's not all about us. It's so that we can uh, share that with somebody else. Share that experience. We, we can't give out the glory and we can't give out the Holy Ghost and we can't make people fill with it. But we can sure tell them about what Jesus done and lead them to Jesus. And, and God does the filling and God does the pouring out. Amen. And so we just are called to be there to help make disciples and teach people what the Bible says and how to obey it and to live the life that is called of us. Because we know that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. He wants to fill everyone with his spirit so that his glow and his glory will spread and begin to fill the earth. And so we have a part in that, and that is simply to pass the torch of truth onto somebody else. Plant that seed. Speak a word pray for them or, or minister to them or, or, or do something, invite them to a, a grow group or your house and uh, for food and fellowship and to talk about the Bible and, and to connect and grow. That's, that helps create opportunities for God to, to begin to grow in their life and fill their heart and uh, fill them with the Holy Ghost. And so igniting somebody else with the fire that's inside of us, that's what we're asked and called to do of Jesus. And so I wonder if that is what Jesus was doing up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, he, he did invite Peter, James, and John up there for what? what to see what? To, to experience what? Just to hang out with them up there, or was it to receive something. 
I believe every time we have an encounter with Jesus, with an encounter with his spirit, uh, it is so that we can receive something from him. Not just to show up and have a good time and, and say, man, that was great. But if we go home empty-handed, what, what really did we receive? Jesus brought them up there because he knew what was going to happen. And he wanted them to see and to hear and to receive something while they were with him on that mountain. But what did they actually receive? We know that they got some good sleep up there. Heavy with sleep. Heavy with sleep. You know how I know that, uh, that obviously, Luke tells us in verse 32 that they were heavy with sleep. Um, there are 12 disciples at that point, and you were one of the three chosen, Peter, James, or John, whoever I'm talking to, to, to go away with Jesus. You were one of the three chosen. To go with him and to see and experience things that the others did not have the opportunity to. And how does it play out? Well, Jesus starts praying and the three start sleeping. You know how I know that they were asleep while all this was going on? Apart from Luke telling us they were heavy with sleep. Because any one of us, if we were there next to Jesus and we were awake and all of a sudden we saw Jesus start to glow like a nightlight, a light begins emitting from Jesus and that light just keeps on getting brighter and brighter and brighter. There's no way that you're going to witness that and say, okay, well, I'm going to sleep now. There's no way. So I believe that Peter, James, and John fell asleep while Jesus was praying. And then while their eyes were shut, the countenance of Jesus begins to change. This, this, Amazing, miraculous transformation begins to happen. And so what is going on with Jesus? Well, we know that after Jesus is crucified and buried and he resurrects, he, he receives a glorified body um, that we can probably assume that it's, it's, per, it's perfect and probably glows. I mean, he was, he was walking through walls and so... Who knows what our glorified body is going to look like, but it's going to look better than what we got right now. Can't wait to receive that. No more aches or pains, right? And so uh, we know that after he is crucified and, and resurrected, he receives this glorified body. But Jesus hasn't been to the cross yet. So what is going on? With what's happening with Jesus and this transfiguration, transformation that is happening. Well, there's no sense in asking Peter, James, and John because they're out. We know that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. He is the spirit of God uh, inside a human body. And so what I think maybe and probably was happened here is that his flesh just could not hold on any longer. That his flesh could not keep back the spirit of Almighty God. And all of a sudden, boom, just the, the, the spirit of God just broke out of this carnal body and begins to glow and emit like he, had, like he is in heaven. And, and, and he rules and reigns with his, with his light and his majesty. And there's not even going to be a need for the sun in heaven because Jesus is going to be the light. That's how bright he is. But yet, here he is, compacted inside a, a flesh and bones and a body. But up there on that mountain, no, the power of God will 
was released and his flesh just could not hold it and began, the spirit began to just pour out and a bright glow and a light glittering and a glistening happens and this is Jesus, God manifested in the flesh and his body could not contain it any longer. So if we have that same spirit, if we have the spirit of Christ inside of us, what does that tell us what's just inside waiting to break free, waiting to get out, waiting for us to crucify this flesh? We need to get rid of our flesh. We need to get rid of our carnality. The church gets too carnal and things begin to hold back what God wants to do. No, we need a good old-fashioned uh, uh, repentance and a breaking in our bodies and our spirit. Get rid of the worldliness. Get rid of the garbage of this world. Crucify this flesh. Why? Because there's something inside that's trying to break out and begin the glory of God can emit in our lives. What if we, just for a week or a month, what if we just said, hey, I'm getting rid of all these things. Why? Because there's something inside of me that needs to get out, that needs to break free. What could happen if the church got serious and began to pursue holiness and righteousness and put away all those carnal things and began to seek God like never before? What would happen if we as a church decided, hey, the month of September, we're, we're going dark, we're shutting everything off. Why? Because there's something inside of me. And if we want to see revival, we got to let that thing out. We can't let it be contained with all that, our, our foolishness and things that we do to keep ourselves entertained and distracted. There's a reason why all that's here in the world today. We've got children's revival coming up and and what, what, what do we do? We've been praying for them to get, the, to get baptized, and they're getting baptized. But what's next? We need to get them to get the Holy Ghost. They need to reach and receive the Spirit of God. And I wonder what would happen if we really started focusing on that. We've got two weeks away. What would, what would happen if we started getting serious about our kids? The way the world is serious about our kids. They want our kids more than some people think they want them. Oh, but I'm waiting for the pastor to put together some kind of fast program so I know how to pray for my kids. What would happen if, if husbands and wives got together and say, what, what are we going to do to get our kids to make sure they get filled with the Holy Ghost? What, what are we going to sacrifice? What are we going to give up? What are we going to fast? What are we going to do something because I want my kids to get the Holy Ghost. I want them to get baptized. Well, maybe if we let the glory of God come out in our lives, in our homes, we might be in, start to see something happening as opposed are waiting on somebody else to do something with my kid. Somebody needs to teach my kid a Bible study so they can know how to get the Holy Ghost. I'm waiting for the pastor to put together a fast so I know how to fast for my kid. What would happen if Parents and grandparents and, and children and the church body said, no, we got to intercede for our kids. They don't know how to sacrifice, but I know how to sacrifice. And maybe it's been a while since I fasted a good long fast, but hey, it's worth it if my kids get the Holy Ghost. It's going to be worth it to see them speak in other tongues and to get baptized in Jesus' name. So what's holding us back, parents? What's holding us back, grandparents, from saying, hey, now's the time to get serious about our kids. We got two weeks until a revival is happening. Why don't we start preparing ourselves and preparing the atmosphere and let a shift take place in this place where we just show up and let the glory of God have his way. What would happen if we actually got serious for a moment? We'll get serious about our uh, about the school board and what's going on and, and, the, and the government and all kinds of things. But what if we just say, honey, what do we got to do to get our kids saved, to make sure they're saved? What are we going to fast? What are we going to give up? What are we, we going to reach the throne of God together so that I 
can see our kids reached. Like we're always waiting on somebody else to start it. Waiting for somebody else. Well, the Bible tells us that our parents, we're the ones to teach our kids. We're the ones to instruct them, but, but they got to go to Sunday school for 30 minutes a week, and we're hoping that they, that Sunday school teacher can really get to them. There's so much inside of us that if we just break this flesh, and it does, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe that that flesh had no chance. The carnality in the body of Jesus had no flesh to restrain back the glory of God. And so, boom, Jesus begins to glow and emit and to shine like never before. and And the flesh could not do anything. That's what revival looks like to me when parents and everyone are saying, hey, uh, uh, pray for me, Pastor. We're going on another deep fast this week, and and we need a covering, and and pray for us because we're trying to reach our kids, and we're going to do anything we can. The most important thing is our kids. But how much are we fasting for them? How many altars are we building for them? How much are we sacrificing for them? Because if we build the altar and we provide the sacrifice, the fire is going to come. But the devil in the world likes to distract us, to keep us busy and focused on all kinds of other things except prayer and fasting and teaching the word. And musicians, if you would come. And so there they are. Jesus is just glowing. Peter, James, and John, they're asleep. They missed out, missing this. Missing this transfiguration take place. So much for those miracle eyes that can see. When Jesus is right there glowing and you're sleeping. What good is a, a powerful service? If you miss out on what God's trying to do, you can brag and say, I was there. Well, what'd you get? Something else amazing happens, at least in my mind, if Jesus being set free up there is in verse 30, says, Behold, there talked with him two men, Moses and Elijah. So not only is Jesus starting to glow, but now this, this portal from heaven opens up. And Moses is standing there. And Elijah is standing there. They're obviously in, in their glorified bodies. And they're there with Jesus. And what are they doing is they're talking. Moses and Elijah They're talking to one another. They're talking with Jesus. And what are they talking about? Don't ask Peter, James, and John. They're sleeping. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. What does it say? Spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah knew Jesus was going to be crucified. They know the future. They're talking with Jesus about you're getting about your plan and this plan coming to place, and you're getting ready to be crucified and killed in Jerusalem, and and it's just amazing. Uh, uh, I wish I could have been a part of that, man. What were they saying? Moses, 4,000-year-old man, sitting there talking to Jesus about him getting crucified here soon. And yet the guys that were up there, invited to come, were asleep. You know how I know they're asleep there in this? Because they're shocked when Jesus was crucified. They couldn't believe it. No, you're not. No, Jesus, you're not going to die. 
Well, Jesus told him at least three times in Scripture he's going to be killed and crucified, and on the third day he's going to raise from the dead. He, Jesus told him that three times, recorded in Scripture, and up here now we're seeing Moses, the, the great man Moses and Elijah, and they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, if Peter and Paul and James were awake and they were listening, you'd have think that they would have not been surprised when Jesus was crucified. But they, they were taken off guard. They had no idea. Which leads me to believe that they were asleep there in this conversation. What a conversation to have. To sit upon. To sit in on. Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah about the cross. Wow. What was all said? We don't know. They were sleeping. And so what good was this this trip. What, what did they receive out of this experience? Peter, James, and John. Verse 32, but Peter and, and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they awoke, they saw Jesus glowing. They didn't see the transformation take place. They woke up and, whoa, Jesus glowing. Whoa, there's two other guys. There's, there's Moses and Elijah. Wow, wow. Good thing I woke up to see this. And it came to pass as they departed from him, as Moses and Elijah, they're done, they're, they left. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Oh, yeah, Peter, what'd you learn? What'd you receive up here, Peter? Did you see me transform? Did you see my body just break in half and the glory of God come out? Oh, no, you, you just woke up and saw me glowing like a light bulb. Did you even get to hear what Moses and Elijah said to me and what we were talking about? Did you, get, did you receive any of that? No, you're sleeping. But it's good for us to be here. What's good? Yeah, man, that was great. That was awesome. What a what an awesome service. Now what'd you get? Did you get anything out of it? Did you receive anything from that? He says, Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he had said. What this guy's just mumbling. Like what what are you saying, Peter? Just keep your mouth closed because obviously you've missed everything. You missed everything. Had, had you been listening to the conversation of the crucifixion of, of Jesus, you wouldn't have said, let's build three tabernacles for you guys. Let's, let's go out and break the first commandment and build tabernacles for other, for other people so that we can worship them as well. Peter missed everything. And yet he walks down there, man, it's good we're there. It's great that we're there. How many times... Do we come into this place? We have a, a great service. Power of God moves and, and all these things happen. We just kind of walk out. Man, that was great. That was great. But did we receive anything? Were we changed at all? Did we just get a feel, a feel, a, a few a little more goosebumps and oh that, oh that feeling, oh everything's okay now. What is it that God wants to pour out in your life? What, what maybe it's a word, a fresh word, or, or a, a, a fresh direction, or maybe He wants to pour out a healing or, or, or something. Uh, I don't know. God has, knows each and every one of your needs, but it's not on what God knows, but it's what. Did we receive? Did we receive anything? Or do we just walk out and say, it's good for us to be here? Stand with me today. So much for those miracle eyes, Peter, that can see a candlelight 14 miles away. When Jesus being right next to you, glows and you don't even see it. What good is our senses if it keeps us out of the realm of receiving what God has for us? 
while Peter saw just the end of this event, and he was blown away, he didn't really get much out of it, at least my opinion. I think, I think we got more out of it than Peter did. And then he walks out of there, just, man, that was great. Great. And yet there's other people in the Bible who didn't have the opportunity to see those things. Who didn't even have working eyes. People are blind. And Matthew 20, 30 says, Behold, two men, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. The multitude rebuked them because they should have they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. I'm going to say, declare today, that these blind men got more from Jesus than Peter did on that mountaintop. And yet Peter was perfectly normal, eyes working, he can see, everything is fine, but yet he, he missed everything. He missed the realm of receiving. He had all the senses working, but yet here's two blind men. They can't even see. They don't even know what Jesus looks like. But yet somehow through the realm of faith, they're reaching out and they, they can grab a hold of Jesus. And, and, and they, they grab a hold of him and, and he opens their eyes and they're healed. And a miracle takes place and they now can see. How much we depend on our senses to determine what God is, can do or can't do. And yet I wonder sometimes if we'd be better off if we just maybe just came into church and we'll put on blindfolds and just begin to worship the Lord. Not dependent upon our eyes because you don't need your eyes to see. You don't need your eyes to receive something. You don't need your eyes to receive a miracle. You don't need your hands and your feet to work in order to receive a miracle. You don't even need to hear because there, there are deaf people and their ears were unlocked. Yet somehow because they, they somehow found that realm of receiving. And it extends far beyond our bodies and our minds, our great minds that all you just need is some faith just to receive and just begin to see something out there. God, I see something. God, I want to see more of you. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me what matters most. They close my eyes and get rid of the distractions and begin to have to use other senses to feel you out. Because these eyes are so powerful, but yet that can be so blinded at times. Because of what I see or don't see. I want to open up these altars to those that just want to draw closer to God. They don't care about anybody else. What's going on around you, but want to step into the realm of, of receiving and, and reaching out by faith. And God, I, I may hobble down here and well, I got pain in my body, but that doesn't mean I'm not seeing a healing. I'm not seeing a miracle somewhere out there. Or, or that God, you're going to touch my situation. I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but God, I don't need my eyes for that. I can reach out in faith into the realm where I can receive something. Come on, will you come? Will you come and seek the face of God? Not with your eyes, but with your heart, with your soul. Oh, God, 
Convict us, Lord, of anything that's in the way, of any weights or sins. God, that's distracting us, holding us back, God, from releasing your glory. Come on, will you come and pray? Will you come and seek him? Step into the realm where you can receive something here today. Well, don't worry what anyone else is doing. It's between you and God. Hallelujah. Come on. Well, let's reach out to him. Hallelujah. You pour out your spirit. What is it that you need? Can you see it in faith? I will open up inside. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.
ready to, we're getting ready to baptize two guys in the name of Jesus. Amen. Anybody else want to get baptized? Is now's the opportunity. Man, we're getting closer to God. Amen. Amen. Let's praise and worship Him as we get ready.